listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our series in leadership with uh, Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Hardy, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Great to be with you. We are continuing our conversation in leadership. Great resource. Sarah and I both are studying leadership as students this <laughs> semester as well. Yeah. So this is kind of like nice extra credit for us to get to have this time to read your book and uh, discuss it with you. Hope everybody else is enjoying the conversation as much as we are. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about uplifting other leaders, uplifting others in their leadership as well. Why, from your perspective, is it important to encourage others to be effective leaders. This is a, a chapter in my book and, and part of my life that uh, happened organically. And what I mean by that is at a very young age, I was yet still in my late 20s, Bishop Ritt of the English District appointed me circuit visitor when there was a vacancy. And he vested in me time, uh, responsibility, authority, unbeknownst to me, was helping to shape me as a leader. And as I've grown both pastorally in my academics, in my leadership style, ability, and experience, the greatest leaders I've seen best in others to lift them up to be great leaders. And, and, and there's great examples in the church, but there's also great examples outside the church of that. And I think we shouldn't ignore the outside the church examples that that prove the point here, because you are only as good as as in the organization that you are leading or group that you are leading as the kind of the, the old saying goes as the weakest link in that group. And so I think effective pastoral leaders can do nothing but uplift others in their specific given roles. And the example that I'd give you here is the church, pastors within the church, but the church as a, as a whole, does not do a good enough job at identifying the gifts that God has given to others in the church, helping them identify those gifts, and then furthermore, helping them to use those gifts in the church. We tend to take willing spirits in the church and we shove them into responsibilities that might not be their gift, but because they're willing and there's a spot, we put them in there. And I've been very, very intentional in the last 15 years of my ministry, when I see somebody who might have the gift of hospitality, and we might have them as an elder, let's say, in the church, but their gift, their spiritual gift is hospitality. I go to them and I say, you know what? I think you should be in charge of our fellowship group. I mean, this is the gift God has given you. Well, I've been an elder for 10 years and I love it. Well, you might love it, but the spiritual gift God gave you is, is, is hospitality. They make the transition and they explode positive contributions to the church because they're now doing what God has intended them to do. And I believe it's the pastor's job spiritually to help people uncover their their spiritual gifts and lifting them up to be servant leaders in the church. Ah, you said servant leadership. What do we actually mean by that term servant leadership? And is it is it do we understand it 
differently in the church than maybe in a, in a secular setting? Because I have serv- I have a chapter on servant leadership in my secular leadership book, and you have a chapter on servant leadership in this pastoral leadership book. Is there a difference, and what do we mean by it? Well, not having read the book that you have, I, I'll say this. <laughs> I don't think there's a difference when it comes to being a a servant leader. Jesus says clearly, there is no greater love than this than to give your life for your friend. The great commandments are summed up in two ways, love God and love your neighbor. So when it comes to being a servant leader, the key principle that, by the way, came to me not from the church, I can identify it in the church a thousand places, but it first came to me from Warren Buffett. I mean, one of the greatest financial moguls in the world. And that is, don't ask people to do things you're not willing to do yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is the example of that. So I don't want to give Warren Buffett any more credit than, than he should have. <laughs> Jesus is the example of that. But that exact phrase that I heard from him is the phrase that I say to people. I tell every new pastor I have that come out of the seminary into the English district, do not ask your people to do anything you're not willing to do in the church yourself. And And I mean... There's a lot of comedic examples I can give, but I'll give you one. When I became bishop, my parish in Pittsburgh was in the middle of looking at buying a new tractor, right? A 60-inch deck type big field mowing tractor because we have five acres of grass to cut at the church. And I found my way out onto that tractor every once in a while when I didn't have anything going on and cut the grass. So I asked the congregation as we were kind of debating which kind, if we could get one of these, you know, um, tractors that had a attachment to have a bucket loader on the front. And one of the members in the church just said, oh, that's because in the wintertime you just want to have fun. And he's right. It was predominantly so I could act like a child as a fully grown man on a piece of large farm equipment. On the flip side, may I say to you, that when the winter came around and our plow company would plow the uh, the parking lot, they would push all of our snow and we would lose five or six spots because they had to have a place to kind of pile all the snow up. So during the week when I had a few free hours, I'd go get the tractor, I'd put the bucket loader on it, and I would clean those spots out, thus fulfilling my childhood dream to be a, a, a operator of large farm equipment and practically providing us parking spots in the church for wintertime. And so, you know, it, it's comedic in some way because of the farm implements that I wanted to use. But it really is pointed because the fact that the pastor would be during the week willing to get on that tractor in freezing weather and go out and move snow motivated my people to say, if the pastor can do it, I'm going to do it too. So we had to not only get a bucket loader, we had to get a rear PTO. I mean, it led to other problems. But my point very directly is don't ask people in the church as a leader to do things you're not willing to do and continue to upload, uplift others within your network of service, because the strongest of the week is as strong as the ministry, the church, or the organization can be. You mentioned Jesus being the example of this. Where do we read in Scripture about uplifting new leaders or potential leaders? Yeah, I'll I'll point to the investment to young leaders in, in the chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, basically summarizing the idea that the young leaders are worthy of investment and do not let them chastise you because you are young. Meaning, because you're a young leader, that doesn't mean you are devalued as a leader. That's one of the areas that I would point to, especially in the chapter. But 
for me, it's always been, you know, I'll turn 50 on October 1st this year, so I'm not going to be able to use this much longer personally. But I'm still one of the far, by far one of the youngest on the council. But the truth of the matter is that in the church, especially the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, leadership is relegated to older veteran members in the church and pastors. And it's simply not a biblical principle. It's just not. I mean, the idea that I was vested in at a young age as a pastor, I'm telling you, is contributory to why I am who I am today and where I am as a leader today. Because I had pastors and lay people who vested time into me because they saw something in me that I didn't even know was in me. And they helped grow that seed, which was in me by God's grace. And so I, I want you to know, I've, I've taken seriously this. I have a few young pastors in my district that I am investing a ton of time and energy in and encouraging them to go on to do some academic work in this area because I'm not going to be around forever and we need the next crop of leaders to come up behind me. And, and I think it's really important to vest in younger leaders. Why is it hard for us to do? Why are we why are we reluctant to recognize those things in people or or to raise up young leaders in the church? Because it's much easier to be derogatory to somebody than complimentary to someone. It's actually funner, to be frank with you, to make fun of somebody than to take somebody aside and say, hey, listen, I think God has given you the gift to do X, Y, and Z. People say, oh, no, no, that's not something I want to do. That's not a gift God has given me. Oftentimes, the greatest gifts we have in life sometimes are not the gifts that we can even see ourselves. Often we ignore the very gifts that God has given to us for various reasons, and it takes others to say to us, you know, you know, Andy, you've got a great voice. You'd be good on the radio. Did anybody ever tell you that, you know? For an entire month before I came to KFUO in my previous job, <laughs> someone told me that every day for like a month. That, so, that affirms the call. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just a perfect example. Now, I mean, in my case, when I went to the seminary, I think they were they were more desirous to maybe hook some straps on me and have me go plow a field than they were to put me in the pulpit. But that's just, you know, I'm, I'm being somewhat you know, sarcastic about that. But I, I do think, Sarah, to your question, it's easier to criticize than it is to compliment. And, and it's not a focus that we have. I'm I'm trying to create culture in the English district where we're looking to uplift the spiritual gifts that God has given to other people. And that cultural response takes time. Every time I'm in a parish, if I see a young man, a middle-aged man, or an older man where I see the spirit descend on him, I'll call him out and ask him when he's going to the seminary. In fact, I have a man at my own congregation that I just a couple weeks ago in the sermon called him out and said that he should be a pastor in the church, and then in the announcement, asked him when he was going to the seminary. Oh, and he's not going yet, but I can tell you that success story paid dividends this year. I had an elder at my previous congregation, a wonderful man who I've been pressing for 10 years, who is now going to the seminary next fall. So, you know, it's persistence and it's seeing God's hand on the hearts of other people and having the will and the desire to share it with them. Wow. <laughs> That's bold. Let's let's take a quick break. We'll come back and continue the conversation here with Bishop Jameson Hardy in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. 
At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking about leadership. Today we're talking particularly about uplifting others in their leadership with Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, taking a look at pastoral leadership, shepherding and caring for God's people from Concordia Publishing House. So you mentioned earlier, you, you talked about the you know the the old adage you're only as strong as the, the a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. Mm. Let's talk about that a little bit more about the people you serve and how your leadership is as strong as those you serve. Can you unpack that for us a little more? Yeah, I I mean in the congregational setting, uh, especially in mid to small size congregations, a lot of emphasis is paid to the pastor, and I, and I understand why. I mean I I don't think that it's it's fully wrong to emphasize the pastor in terms of his leadership. But I've learned even in a small to mid-sized congregation that I served for 20 years that I don't care how good I was or how much I worked. If I didn't have a team around me, like an administrative assistant, Kathy Stannis, who now is the district's administrative assistant, you know, the head trustee or trustees, I got to tell you, some of the greatest days in my pastoral life were doing trustee activities with my trustees during the week. Uh, we built a sign down by the road, a man by the name of Chris Black and I spent two days together. And you can't replace those days just laboring physically with your members. You, you just cannot replace those days. And they were some of the best days of my life. As district president, I don't get the luxury anymore of, of you know working on the roof or, or building this or, or fixing that. Uh, and I think ultimately, you know, the church is an organization of people together, the pastor, not any one workhorse layperson. And, and I've always believed that. And, and frankly, let me take it a step further. I merged two congregations together by, by God's grace. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to these churches. One of the foundational principles was we wanted to find a way to engage everyone at some level, Bible study, small committees, some way to get people engaged to participating in the life of the church. In my time as a parish pastor, I have never had a stronger ministry than those years when we had as many people doing something in the church was their spiritual gift. So I've lived it. It's not just theoretical for me. I've lived it. In fact, when I was the bishop, we were getting, or when I was elected bishop, we were getting to a point in my congregational life where we needed to refocus this and redouble down on this. And if I was an elected bishop, that's what we would have done. I got elected bishop. We called another pastor. And now, now, right now, that congregation is in the middle of doing that. Now it's eight years later, but they had a new pastor. He had to get himself settled. And so I think ultimately any successful ministry is going to engage as many people as possible in lifting each other in leadership. What role does recognition play in that? And I mean, recognizing the gifts that people have, but also recognizing the actual stuff that they're doing. How, how does that play into all of this? 
Yeah, I don't think we say thank you enough. I don't think that we recognize enough. We created a couple of wards in the English district to give one lay and one clergy. The most important award that I uh, created under my time as bishop is called the Roger D. Patelko Award, my former predecessor, Bishop Patelko. And the simple phrase on there is, he loved the church. That's the award. It's in Latin, by the way, and I'm not a Latin scholar, so I can't say it without chopping it up. But the translation is, he loved the church. And so every year, we choose, the board of directors of the district chooses one retired pastor, and that's part of the criteria. He had to be an English district pastor. He's got to be retired. I mean, we have criteria to it. But every year, we choose one guy, and we award them with the lifetime service to the church. He loved the church award give it to him. And and I'm thrilled. This has been just a great, the, the seeing the smiles on the faces of some of these retired guys is just unbelievable. Let's be clear. Pastors get a tremendous amount of attention while they're serving churches. They, they're in the spotlight every week. People are saying good or bad things about them every day. Then they retire and they end up going to churches and they probably pulpit supply, but they irritate their wife by staying home. The attention, the attention is gone, right? It's just gone. And so by, by the district saying, we want to recognize a retired guy every year just to let them know how much we appreciated their contribution. And we're thinking about, this is uh, breaking news, but we're thinking about doing the same thing with a lay person and creating a lay award for the same thing. So, I mean, you know, it's just, for me, it's critical. It's just, it's critical. Gotta, we got to be more intentional in thanking uh, workers in the church, not full-time workers in the church, but laborers in the harvest field, and not take for granted that lay people need to be told thanks as well for their service. Does one need to have a title to be a leader in the church? Unfortunately, I think there are congregations and individuals that think they, they do. But the truth is, I, I write in the book, I'm in the habit of promoting somebody else's book, I have to say, Mark Sanborn wrote a very, very small book. It's about this big, says you don't need a title to be a leader. And I've used that book a number of times to do Bible study, to do a lot of things. And book's premise is very simply this. Your contribution is important regardless of any title you might have. And, and I always, I put this in my dissertation as well. One of the things about leadership in the in the church is you can't look at the garbage can needing to be emptied and think somebody else will do it. I never had a person at my church that had garbage can emptier as a title, but, <laughs> but any good leader is going to walk by a full garbage can and take care of it. And this is a philosophical thing for me because I remember an older pastor, I won't mention his name. I remember an older pastor say to me, I'm not going to do any of that stuff in my church. These lay people need to know, you know, they need to understand what they are responsible for. And I just told him, I said, I can't afford to do that because in my small parish, I might have a guest today. And that guest is, is, is not going to come back. You know what I mean? If I don't fix clean up or whatever, he might never come back or she might never come back. And, and so it's, for me, it's a philosophical deal. I, I really believe in my heart. You don't need a title to be a leader. And those of us who have titles, still must be effective leaders. So a title has nothing to do with your performance. It just adds to the responsibility, in my opinion. 
you know, I've always had the title pastor, which I think is the most important title that I could ever have in my life. But in these last days, I've added to it. God has added to it with reverend, doctor, you know, bishop, president, and none of it matters to me. I, I was signing my book this week with some of the council members, and I sign it the same way with everybody. Pastor Hardy, not anything else, not doctor, not bishop, Pastor Hardy. That's my, the highest office I hold is pastor. How valuable are these leaders to the church who maybe haven't been appointed to a position on the board or, or don't have, you know, that, that type of title? But how important are those people who just walk by a trash can and take it out? I'm going to tell you right now, in my life as a pastor, they are the most important people because 99% of every congregation I've ever been a part of only runs successfully with title-less leaders. They have title leaders, and they're helpful and effective, but the greatest ministries in the church tend to have people behind the scenes that do things that never get recognized. In my parish in Pittsburgh, we had a two or three families, about four or five total people, that every meal we had, they were in the kitchen. They None of them had titles. They were kind of our kitchen families. And without them, we've never had a meal that was successful or had enough food to eat ever. And, and I always made it a point to go in there. I always made it a point to tell them how thankful I was that they were here. And also, I'd always go in there and help them wash the dishes and clean up. Again, not asking them to do things that I wasn't willing to do myself. But yeah, I think I think effective congregational ministry today does not happen without titleless leaders. Who would you say are the people that uplifted you that has led to you being a leader today? Yeah, no, unequivocally, my parish pastor, Ralph Fisher, who's sainted with the Lord, I was made you know, head of youth group at 18 years old. I was asked to speak in front of every congregational meeting and group to raise money for the National Youth Gathering. I was I was made the judge in the uh, Lenten play that we did. And I got to wear a black cassock from the pastor, which I think he was, I think what he was doing actually was subconsciously getting me comfortable, A, standing in the pulpit and B, wearing a cassock. But that's a whole nother story. I think my my wrestling coaches, both in high school and college, who just expected me to to be a leader, and then going to the seminary, you know, several professors who who took the time to actually say things to me like, "God's going to do great things with you and through you and by you." I just laugh, you know. It's kind of like my pastor. He told me in third grade, "You're going to play football for the Lions," and I told him, "I hope you know that." He, excuse me. He told me I was going to be a pastor, and I told him I was going to play football for the Lions. And lo and behold, I'm a pastor now in a church in Michigan where a retired Lions quarterback is a member, Eric Kippel. And by the way, I know my prophecy is in trouble because the Lions lost their football game yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks, but I still believe. And, and Eric knows that any effective leader is going to hold out hope, as we have in the, in the biblical texts, that God's mercy is new every day. And, and every day we wake up, we have the opportunity to lead and so I've been blessed with many, many, many people in my life who have, who have suggested, helped me, moved me forward, given me positions all the way to the point of uh, Bishop David Ritt and Bishop David Stuckholz, who uh, saw things in me I didn't see in myself. How do we do that intentionally for other people? 
some people are really good at, at pointing out those spiritual gifts or talking to people or, or having that connection with others in order to recognize things. How do we all, how, how are we able to do that with more intentionality in the church to raise up young leaders uh, like, like people did for you? The simple answer here, Sarah, is this. You've got to be intentional. It's just very simple. You've got to be intentional and in, in looking for it. I, I mean this. I've already said it once, but I bears repeating. I am intentional when I go into a congregation. If I see a young man who the Spirit is resting on, he's going to get an invitation to go to the seminary or to be a pastor. Or, I mean, it's an intentional bid. If I see a woman who's doing something in the church that kind of is unheralded, like, you know, like I say about the garbage can, I'd say to them, hey, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. I see that it's a valuable contribution, and I'm pretty sure not a lot of people are saying that to you. It comes back to intentionality and you making a decision that everywhere you go with everybody you're with, you're going to look for spiritual gifts resting on people and uplift them. It's just that simple. I mean, it really is that simple. Is making coffee a spiritual gift? Yes. There you go. <laughs> Hospitality, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. my, my liquor and supervisor told me, well, if you're the first one in the office, you need to make the coffee. And I told him, I ain't doing it. I don't drink it. Well, guess what? I still had to make the coffee as a vicar. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending some time with us in your book today, Pastor Hardy. I have enjoyed the series and looking forward to more. We have a few more chapters to work through as we continue learning about leadership. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. Thanks so much, Pastor Hardy, for being our guest. Great to be with you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.